Hello and welcome to another podcast episode. I'm Ray and this time we're going to talk about, well we aren't, I am, <laughs> I'm going to talk about shopkeepers, a nation of shopkeepers. If you want to email me with any comments it's raiserants at protonmail.com, raiserants at protonmail.com. Hope you're all keeping well. At the moment I'm hoping it won't affect the recording here on the south coast of the UK, we've got gale force winds. Where are, what day is it? I, do you know, I don't know what day it is. It's Friday. It's Friday, 8 o'clock in the morning, 8 a.m. How about that? Storm, is it Storm Evert or something? I, I forget what it's called. It's coming across from the west country, travelling along the south coast here. So it'll be with us in a few hours, I would imagine. So I've got to get this episode done before the real gale force winds get here. I believe the term a nation of shopkeepers was attributed to Napoleon. Some people say, no, he never did say that. He didn't say that the Brits were a nation of shopkeepers. There was a, meant to be, I, I believe, a derogatory comment, meaning that we are cowards. Now, I'm not sure whether that's true or not, but apparently it did come from our friends over the water, the French. <laughs> they called us a nation, or someone did, a nation of shopkeepers. Now, derogatory comment or not, I don't think it is, because I think it's true. If you go back in time, that reminds me of Radio... Do you remember Radio Caroline, the pirate ship? Back in the time on the sound of a nation, it's a Caroline flashback. Sorry, I digress. Go back in time and look at the corner shops that popped up. Now, this was, what, Victorian times? I mean, 1800s. We can go back to the 1800s. And you had little shops popping up everywhere. What people did, and I remember some of these shops. I don't know. Yeah, there must be some around today. You'd have a row of houses. And someone in that row of houses had converted their lounge into a shop. Taken out the bay window. Put a shop front in, <laughs> or not even done that, just had the front door open and put a sign over, over the lounge window, uh, you know, Fred's Green Grocery or whatever, and that was it. That was a shop. Now, I don't believe in the early days you had to have any kind of uh, planning permission or whatever. You'd just open a shop, uh, turn your lounge, you know, put a counter in there, fill it with shelves and things, and off you go. You sell your produce. As I mentioned in a recent podcast, pubs, public houses, began with someone turning their house into a public house. They'd brew beer out the back, turn their lounge into a, a, a bar, stick open on the outside of the house, and it was a pub. And again, I don't think in the you know, like 100, 200 years ago or whenever this started, I don't think you needed planning. I mean, today you need planning permission to hang your washing out. Actually, that's true. In some areas, you're not allowed to hang out your washing. And I do believe in a lot of areas, you're not allowed to have TV aerials on the chimney. But of course, they, they kind of wave that because everyone has. Actually, we haven't. I had them all taken down because they've been up there for about 300 years and they were falling to bits. There's bits of coax hanging off the aerials and swinging in the wind. And the whole thing was a, a mess of junk aluminium up there. So I had this chap take the whole lot down and stick up one of my ham radio aerials in, in this place. <laughs> anyway, you have to have these days planning permission for just about everything. Back then, I don't think there was such a thing as planning permission. You want to sell beer in your front room <laughs> to the general public, you could do that. So, of course, people started to turn their lounge into a shop, put some shelves in the window, stack it up with whatever it is you're selling, great idea and of course the back room a lot of you will remember uh you go into a little shop a corner shop or a shop in a row of houses the the back room was actually the sort of kitchen or dining room or whatever then there was a scullery of that if you go back in time so what they would do is they have the shop that's open they can open it at seven in the morning and they can sit in their back room there doing breakfast doing whatever they have to get on with customer comes in they just go and serve them and of course they can stay open till say 10 at night because all they're doing is sitting in their back room they're doing their dinner they're doing the washing up watching television you know it's it's easy you just every time a customer comes in you know the old doorbell ding 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 you go out and serve the customer great and you're making money you can see why a lot of people turn their 
their lounge, their living room, their front room into a shop. I'm pretty sure, as I said, the corner shops came about in Victorian, well, 1800s. I'm not sure. I should have looked that up. I should have done some research before I started this episode. But uh, you know me, I, <laughs> I don't. I don't bother. I do sometimes halfway through an episode, I'll look something up online just to make sure I'm right or make sure I'm wrong. But corner shops, there was a programme recently on the telly about corner shops in the UK and how they changed over the years. You know, you get to the war years and how they changed ration books and all that. Quite an interesting programme, actually. But of course, we've still got a lot of corner shops. We've got one down the road from us. Just down the road, round the corner, there's a shop and it is a corner. They're actually on corners, aren't they, of streets, which is interesting. A lot of shops, though, as I said, were in the middle of a a row of terraced houses. I know in my town there's a, a garage. It's rather an odd setup. It's it's a house uh, with the, the kind of lounge and the well, I don't know. There's a kind of way through the house to the backyard, and it's a garage, you know, a car repair garage. It's rather an odd setup. And I can think of another shop that sells car parts. That is a or was a house. So actually, yes, there are still quite a few shops around. I know some of them have been converted back into houses. I know several that that's happened to. But it's all interesting, though, how everyone had a shop. You'd grow stuff in your back garden. If you had a reasonable-sized back garden and you grew vegetables, you know, carrots, cabbage, all that sort of stuff, fruit, uh, perhaps blackcurrants, gooseberries, apple trees even, then you sell it in your shop. And that, of course, is how... A lot of people brought their produce from your local shop, it, it, probably in the same street. You, know, you live next door <laughs> to the shop and you just pop next door and get whatever you want. I knew a, a couple, this is many years ago, back in the 60s, they didn't really have any food in their house. They didn't need to keep food because they were a couple of doors away from a shop. And if they wanted, they say, well, let's have jacket potatoes this evening. They pop to the shop and buy a couple of large potatoes. If they decided they wanted cabbage or broccoli or carrots, they didn't keep it. They just go and buy it. Of course, that way they didn't have to have any food in stock. They kept milk, of course, but uh, the local shop was their their food supply. Until recently, by recently, what do I mean? Ten years ago, we had a local ironmonger. Just down the end of the road, there's a little row of shops. Ironmonger there. Terrific. You want some screws or a door hinge? anything like that, he had it there. He also had packets of seeds if he wanted to grow tomatoes. He sold paraffin. Mind you, no, he'd stopped selling paraffin uh, when we went there. But uh, in the old days, of course, all your local ironmongers sold paraffin because people had paraffin heaters and they used it. So that was another thing that you could get just down the local shops. They weren't all single shops in the middle of a row of terraced houses. There were little rows of shops, but normally with flats above. I'm going to come to that later because I want to tell you about a friend of mine who started his own business. He rented a shop. I'll tell you later about that. But the little ironmonger man, whatever you wanted, you want a saw blade for your hacksaw or you've broken the blade, pop round there, he had it. You could buy anything. Whereas now, of course, he's gone, as they all have, the small ironmongers. Now you've got to go up to the, the retail park, is it called, where there's the supermarket, the massive shoe shop, uh, the massive this, the massive that. You know, you you can't go to town anymore for your bits and pieces, let alone round the corner. And there was also, that's gone now, uh, a lovely greengrocer shop just round the corner from us. Really nice fresh produce okay a little bit more expensive than the supermarkets of course because they've got the buying power haven't they the shop round the corner might buy i don't know let's say 20 cabbages the supermarket are buying 20,000 cabbages so they get a good price but no i really do miss the local shops and we did both my wife and i we did and the neighbors tried to support them you know if we could buy something locally from them we would of course, then you've got online stuff and, oh, I don't know how shops these days stand a chance. Well, they don't stand a chance, do they? So many of them have gone. It's uh, it's such a shame. We certainly were a nation of shopkeepers. Now, the 1960s, let's go back to the 60s, because as you know, I like that. I love the 60s. In the 1960s, 
you could make money. In that decade, you could make money. In the 40s, obviously, there was the war. The 50s, you're recovering from the war. There was still rationing going on into the 50s. The 60s, it was all over. People were free. There's no more rationing. And it was the decade for making money. A lot of people in the 60s opened shops. Now, when I worked in the radio and TV workshop, I was, as I said before in other episodes, I was a a radio and TV apprentice engineer in the 60s. I knew of five people. I've counted five at least. There may have been six. They were TV engineers in the workshop along with me. They left and opened their own radio and TV repair shops. They sold tellies, they sold radios, they did the repairs. Five of them I can count. I'm sure there were more than five. And each one was pretty successful. They all made a good living. I remember one chap, Dennis, he left. He lived in the flat above the shop. He rented the shop. Because then shop rents were reasonable. These days they are horrendous. I mean, this is why landlords are having to reduce rents, isn't it? I mean, you either reduce the rent or you've got an empty shop because people just can't afford the rents. But this chap, Dennis, he opened his shop. He was there for years. I think in the end he retired. All right, he didn't get rich out of it, but he had quite a successful little business there, which he enjoyed as well. He was self-employed, obviously. He ran his own business. He did what he liked. He was free and he enjoyed it. And, and the other four people that opened shop, well, one of them, he opened another two shops. I mean, no, yes, he had two altogether, I believe, in the end. Anyone, it seemed back in the 60s, that started on their own, whether they had a shop or they worked from home, people like electrician, plumber, painter and decorator working from home, you advertise in the local paper. I knew a painter and decorator, always had too much work on, always. Whenever the phone rang, oh, here we go. Not another job, surely. He had too much work on. And that's the way it was back then. Sweet shops. There were sweet shops absolutely everywhere. Well, confectioners, they were called originally, weren't they? I mean, we all knew them as sweet shops in the 50s and 60s. But they were all over the place. I remember where I worked in the TV shop, a workshop, within, what, within three minutes walk from the workshop, there were two sweet shops. Of course, they sold cigarettes, or sweets, obviously, uh, newspapers, all that sort of thing. A few minutes apart, downtown, there were, trying to think, I think there must have been three or four sweet shops, all within, you know, they could see each other. If they stood outside their shop door, you know, the proprietors, they could see each other and have a chat. It was just incredible. They all did well because the cake was huge. You've heard of you know, the slice of the cake. Each one wants a bigger slice of the cake. The cake was huge. There was enough cake for everyone to go round. I remember estate agents, you'd have two or three within just a few minutes walking distance of each other. Have a look round your town now if you're in the UK. Well, even if you're abroad, it's probably the same in America or Australia. I don't know. It'd be interesting. Email me. I'd love to hear about your local shops and what's happened over the decades. Downtown where I am now, so many shops are closed. They're finished. Of course, the landlords can't rent them out. Who wants to open a shop these days? You just won't make a go of it, not unless you've got some unique business set up. You're not going to open a greengrocer, a butcher, you know, a sweet shop. You're not going to do that. You won't get any trade. Everyone's up the supermarket, up the huge retail park. So, yeah, do email me. I'd love to hear about your local shops. Yeah, just a few lines would do. Raiserants at protonmail.com. Raiserants, or one word, at protonmail.com. Tell me about the shops you remember when you were a kid and what shops you've got now. I do know that uh, we've had rows of shops, well, a whole complex of shops near to where I am was knocked down. The whole lot's gone. It was a new project. Now, when was that? Was that the no, 60s, I believe. This little complex, not far from the railway station, a good spot. People had to walk through this little shopping precinct to get to the town. Great, but it didn't work. It just didn't work in the end. and It's all gone. The whole lot's been knocked down. <laughs> in fact, on part of the site that was just wasteland, they've just completed a, a massive building, which is Inland Revenue, Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs. Mind you, Without, without any shops, what kind of tax are the revenue going to take? The shops are all disappearing. OK, you've been patient, so I shall tell you about this chap I knew. 
in the 1960s, he opened a shop. He had been saving up stock for a year. He had a job. He saved up stock for a year. He filled his house with stock. He'd saved money. The day came, he rented a shop, filled it with his stuff, put open on the door and he was open for business. He left his day job. He was in business. After a couple of years, he had really built up his business. He was doing well. And the landlord said to him, look, I'm going to sell the shop. Okay, give you first refusal. If you don't want it, you're going to end up with another landlord. So he went to the bank and he explained the situation. The bank manager said, right, I can see what you've done over two years. He said, if we lend you the money to buy the shop, it's not going to be much different from the rent you're paying anyway. So I know you, know, you can pay us back. You can pay the bank back. Your, your monthly payments are going to be about the same as the rent. So he bought the shop. I'm deliberately not telling you what his business was because it was in my hometown and people will know of him and certainly know of the shop. So a number of years later, it wasn't that long, he sold his business. Now he'd paid the bank back, okay, he sold the business, paid the bank back, and the chap that bought the business was now renting the shop from him, from my friend. And there was also a flat above the shop that he let out. So things were looking good. He now owned the freehold on the shop and the flat above. The flat was rented out, the shop was rented out. He'd sold the business, got a good price for that. So he went to the bank and he said, I want to buy another shop. <laughs> and of course, the bank manager said, right, well, you're doing well. I can see all your figures. OK, let's have another shop. He found another shop, got the loan from the bank. Now, he didn't start up another business in this second shop he had. He just rented the shop out to someone else. So he was buying it from the bank and he let it out. So the rent coming in was paying the bank back. He was also getting the rent from the first shop and the flat. And it's a bit of a long story, this. He eventually only took him a few years because he had money coming in now, big money coming in. He paid the bank back for the second shop. He bought a third shop and a fourth and a fifth. He ended up with five shops that he owned the freehold on, all with flats above. So he had five flats and five shops all this rent coming in. <laughs> and he was, as he used to say, laughing all the way to the bank. Now, those were the days when you knew the bank manager. The bank manager knew you. It wasn't like today where you, you phone someone and you, you get someone on the phone 6,000 miles away in another country that doesn't know what you're talking about. Your local bank manager knew you and you knew him. And you were not mates, but you, know, you were acquaintances. You could have a chat discuss things, discuss business. It's the way it should be now, but there we are, sadly, it's all gone. Now, don't get me wrong, not everyone who opened a shop in the 60s made a success of it. I knew a chap, now this was entirely his own fault. He opened Monday to Saturday, nine to five or whatever it was, nine in the morning, five in the evening, six days a week. Got a bit fed up with that. There was Wednesday half day closing in most towns in the UK back then. So he closed Wednesday afternoon. He then got fed up working all day Saturday. So he thought, well, I'll tell you what, I close at midday Saturday. That gives people four hours to come in, buy what they want. Then I've got Saturday afternoon off. He then decided to open at not nine in the morning, but 10. Not many people come in at nine, so well, I might as well open at 10 o'clock. He then started to close. You know what I'm going to say, don't you? He then started closing up instead of five, four o'clock. OK, he wasn't that busy during the hours that he'd closed from 9 till 10, for example, from 4 till 5, Saturday afternoon. Wasn't that busy, but his takings went down considerably. He got fed up with the whole thing, and in the end, he just finished with the business totally. It was his fault. He should have persevered. Also, he'd only been there about a year. I think he lasted a year. He should have put more effort into it. You know, he should have opened for as many hours as possible to get the customers in. A lot of people want to buy something on their way to work. So if he opened at nine or say half eight or even eight o'clock, people could pop into the shop, buy what they wanted on their way to work where they started at nine. A lot of people finished at five. Well, stay open till six. They can pop in on their way home from work. Lunchtime used to close between 12 and one. No, it wasn't one and two. Well, again, stay open. People were in offices and other businesses around. Their lunch was one till two. 
Of course, it's closed. They couldn't pop in and buy anything. So, yeah, it wasn't every single shop that was open was a, a terrific success. Some people did fail. Now, you didn't have to open a shop, of course. I know this podcast episode is all about the, us Brits being a nation of shopkeepers. I know several TV engineers that just work from home. And one uh, one chap, he went into aerial rigging, you know, climbing up roofs and putting TV aerials up for people. Just an advert in your local paper, aerial rigging, TV repairs, TV and radio repairs, reasonable rates, all this sort of thing, as the adverts used to be. And of course, you've got your phone at home. You get a call, you can go out and do the job. I remember one chap, he was very successful working at home as a TV engineer. He had a quite a big shed down the garden for his workshop for TVs that he couldn't repair on the spot, you know, in the person's home. So he'd bring the tellies back to his house. And his wife, she took the phone calls at home. Now, this is before the days of mobile phones, of course. She would take the phone calls at home and she'd take the name and address and what TV it was. And she'd say, OK, I'll contact my husband and get him to call. And she called him on an illegal radio setup that they had, two-way radios, which were illegal then. So she'd call him and in some sort of code... I don't know what it was, but say it was 32 Smith Street. She'd say 23. She reversed the numbers and, I don't know, somehow changed the, the name of the street. And she'd give him this info so he could go around there within, well, as soon as he'd finished the job, he could go straight round there, whatever job he was on, add it to his list and he'd be there. So he did very well. And he actually ended up opening a shop in the end. But uh, as I was saying, you know, not everyone opened a shop. You, you could be self-employed and earn pretty good money just working from home there was a local greengrocer just over the road from where I lived uh, about 40 years ago people locally grew in their greenhouses cucumbers tomatoes in their gardens they grow onions potatoes cabbages all this sort of thing and they go over to his shop and sell it to him he'd give them a, a reasonable price they were happy he'd put his profit on and sell it in the shop in his greengrocer shop what a fantastic idea. Locally grown produce, only picked this morning or picked yesterday or whatever. You couldn't get much fresher than that. It was helping the local community. It was just fantastic. And he always had a brilliant range of produce in his shop. Really nice, fresh stuff, you know, and he did very, very well. What happened to him? Oh, I think, it, oh, he got old in the end. Yeah, he retired in the end, uh, which was a shame, but he did very well with his shop. And went on for <laughs> went on for decades till he retired. Uh, I don't think he sold the business; it just closed. Yeah, because supermarkets were beginning to take over. I mean, that was a trouble. Supermarkets, you know, great idea, everything in one place, but it put so many little people out of business. It was such a shame. And it, well, it still is. As I said earlier, you can't just go and open a shop now, because you probably won't get any customers. Well, depending on what it is you're doing, of course. But you know, why Why go to a shop where it's dearer? This is the way people think. Well, it costs more. It means making a special journey. I might as well drive to the supermarket, get everything I want in one go and bring it all home. It is such a shame. Of course, people do still open shops. There's one near to me. Uh, what is it? She sells ice cream. No, not, I forget, kind of ice cream stuff, specialist stuff like that. And she's doing really, really well. I think she opened She opened just as the closure started with all the lockdown and the, the pandemic and all this stuff, COVID. But she hung on in there and she's done really well. She's still there. Of course, the local supermarket doesn't do what she does. This is the secret. If you're going to open a shop, it's no good selling what the local supermarket sell at half the price. You've got to be a bit unique. You know, you've got to be specialising in something that big supermarkets and other shops aren't doing. Now, here's a question. What's going to happen to all the empty shops? Because more and more shops in the high street in particular are closing. What's going to happen to them? I've heard various you know, different ideas, make them into housing, make them into flats, so people have got somewhere to live. We can't have more coffee shops, really, or charity shops. Here in the UK, we've got so many charity shops and coffee shops. It's just, it, I don't know, it's just ruined the high street. I know I'm always going on about the good old days, the 50s and 60s. Mind you, that's what all these episodes are about, really. It was just brilliant having all the different shops. 
People liked going into town. I remember when I was a child, I remember adults saying they enjoy go, they go shopping. Oh, we're going shopping. We're going downtown this afternoon. And there were loads of different shops to look at. Not just greengrocer, butcher, whatever. There were loads of different shops, lots of different businesses set up. It was fantastic. You know, you could really, I mean, even I as a kid, I must say, I, I hate going into town now. But when I was a child, you know, if, if I was told, oh, we're going into town, we go into Lion's Corner House and have um, a cup of tea and a, a cream cake or something or a donut or whatever it was they sold. I remember that. I remember the waitresses in their black uniforms and their white uh, little head type things. It was fantastic. Near the pier, uh, downtown by the pier, there was a coffee shop and they used to grind their own coffee beans and they had the machinery in the window. You could stand there and watch it. All the gears going round and all the coffee beans jumping around. But the thing is, you could smell that coffee. <laughs> Talk about wake up and smell the coffee. You really could down by the pier from quite a long way from the shop. You know, the, the smell of freshly ground coffee was fantastic. There were so many different shops, so many different things to look at, so many different things to buy. I don't know. It's, it, it won't go back, will it? It'll never go back to those days, obviously. It's easy to blame the supermarkets because I suppose, well, who else's fault is it? The supermarkets took all the business away from the town centre, wherever you are in the UK. They took the business out of the town centre. They did start. I remember supermarkets starting in the town. They were in the, you know, if they could get a good position in the centre of town, that's where they opened up. I remember, you know, some of the big name supermarkets starting off in the town. They didn't have massive shops, but they were in the town. Of course, they grew and they perhaps take the shop next door, then the shop next door to that. So they ended up with several shops in a row. And of course, eventually they moved out of town. I mean, it was bad enough when they were in town, but at least the shoppers were, even if they wanted the supermarket, they had to go into town, which gave all the other little shops a chance as soon as the supermarkets moved out of town to these huge retail parks and stuff like that, of course, all the, the customers, all the, the footfall disappeared. They all went, they followed the supermarkets, obviously. And that's when, uh, well, that's when the decline started, really, wasn't it? We were going to have uh, Ikea open up um, in Lansing. If you look, yeah, look it up on the map. <laughs> Lansing, just near Shoreham Airport. But actually in Lansing, we were going to have Ikea open up. They're building 600 homes, I believe, and a school, I think. And Ikea were going to open up there. Now, the A27 is already a very, very busy road. I don't know what it would have done to the traffic there. But anyway, Ikea now have said, no, they're not doing it. It was all going ahead. All the plans were going ahead. Now they've pulled out. And apparently they're selling the land that they, they bought. I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Apparently all the 600 homes are still going ahead and I think the school is going ahead and whatever else. I just think it was a, a bit of an odd place. It's a strange place. If you do look on the map, you'll see Shoreham Airport and then Lansing and you'll see some, well, it's not wasteland. I don't know what it is. I thought that was a kind of, not a floodplain, but um, marshland because there's a road, something marsh, uh, I forget the name of the road. I don't know if it's, is it a good idea to build on marshland? I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs of it. No doubt the surveyors know more than I do. They know better than me, presumably, <laughs> hopefully. Anyway, that's not going ahead. Look, all these floods we've had in London and everywhere. There was a chap on the telly saying about the floods in London. Have you seen that underground station? It filled up with water. And he said, well, what do you expect in a place like London if you cover a vast area with concrete? And all you've got to take it away is the River Thames. What do you expect? Is it going to be flooding? That was a, a Met Office chap, I believe. And he's right, isn't he? And yet people are still building on floodplains. Madness. Of course, the trouble is, is with floodplains and building, there's a lot of politics involved. Local councils and all the rest of it, and planning departments and politics and different political parties. It, I don't know, it's a mess, really, when you think about it. In fact, I was thinking... I've been thinking with all this, you know how people get offended by the slightest thing these days. Funnily enough, uh, Sarah, hello Sarah, she emailed me about a week ago 
and said, uh, why don't you do something on all this stuff you see on Twitter, you know, people being offended by this and that and all the rest of this stuff where, you know, you can't say boys and girls anymore. It's not right. It offends people. The thing is, Sarah, yeah, I've been given this a lot of thought over quite a few weeks and you've got to be careful. I've got to be careful. When I think back to how things were in the 60s, they were very, very different. Very, very different. Look at the TV programmes that were on Love Thy Neighbour, things like that. I mean, you put that on telly now, well, it's available on YouTube. You put that on telly now, and what is it, Till Death Us Do Part, that sort of stuff. In the, in the day, back in the day, they were good. Yeah, they were good programmes. They had a lot of people watching them. They were funny. But things have changed so much. You can't, I don't know, it's difficult. To do an episode on all that sort of thing is, I'd love to do it. But you've got to be very careful because if I offend someone, you know, then oh, 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 he said this, he said that. Oh, here we go. You know, I'm going to get into all sorts of trouble. But yeah, good idea, Sarah. But, you know, as I was saying, political stuff, I've always tried to avoid it. Funnily enough, our local council, I was just looking at some local news and someone was saying, oh, well, our local council, you know, they've done away with all the history in our town. All the decent old buildings they've knocked down and put up atrocious dreadful looking buildings which is true they have all the history of the town is disappearing and it's the local council now i forget now what is our count is it labor or conservative i don't know i can't keep up with it all i don't know which is worse or which is better i think they're all as bad as each other to be honest but yeah good idea sarah something as i say i've been thinking about actually probably for several months i've been sort of thinking about this but there we are i'll see I'll see what happens. Well, nothing's going to happen, is it? <laughs> I'll see how I feel. Um, locally, we've got a, a little group and one of them got uh, upset. One of them got offended. I'm not going to say too much because some of the local people listen to this. But one of them got offended because one of the others put something on the group that was, uh, OK, a little bit risque. I mean, it wasn't anything dreadful. A little bit, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, a little bit below the mark no that's not right anyway this person absolutely went ballistic and took off and all this business so the the person that put this thing on left the group uh someone else left the group i don't know you know what is going on it seems these days the slightest thing anyone does or says oh that's it i've taken offense i don't take offense at anything I mean, if I if I were to tell you some of the things I've been called during my lifetime, you know, if I took offence at the slightest thing, good grief. Oh, what's my favourite? Stone the crows. I don't know. Anyway, I'll give that some thought, Sarah. Yeah, give that some thought. And, uh, and what I'll do is I'll publish the episode and then hide. <laughs> hide for all the flack. I think going back to shops again, well, I go back to everything. Things were more friendly in the old days. Shopkeepers, shop staff, they were more friendly, more polite. I don't know. I mean, I don't go into shops these days if I can help it. I don't go anywhere. <laughs> if I can help it, I stay at home. Pubs over the last few decades, you go in there and look at the chap and you might get a, uh, or yeah. <laughs> oh, can I have a pint of lager, please? Uh. <laughs> That's it. Whereas the old days, it would, Good evening. How, you know, good evening, sir. What would you like? How can I help you? Yeah, I don't know. It was more friendly. You get that in the shops. I remember as a kid being taken into shops when I was in my teens, going into shops. It was more friendly. You know, good morning. How can I help you? And you'd say, oh, I'm interested in so and so. Certainly, certainly, sir. Right, we've got this one. We've got that one. And they, I don't know, it was different. Whereas these days, if there are any staff available, they're chatting to each other about where they went last night or where they're going this weekend or what boyfriend or girlfriend they've got now. I mean, not all shops, you know, don't get me wrong, not all shops are like that. But it does seem to have gone very much that way. And it seems that you as the customer, if you want to ask a question or you go up to someone to ask them something, you're a bit of a pest or you're a nuisance. We're having a chat. What do you want? Oh, I don't know. It's over there. Try aisle 10 somewhere over there. <laughs> Uh, perhaps I, I don't know perhaps I've gone a bit too far perhaps that's not obviously not true of all shops but uh, I certainly have experienced that myself in several shops 
over the last, uh, what should we say, 20, 30 years. I saw a programme on television, must have been about a year ago now, about fish and chip shops in the old days. And again, what people would do is they'd strip out their lounge, get rid of all the furniture, and put a huge, you know, a chip, uh, fish and chip machine in. You know, the ones they have these days. I think they're gas or electricity powered. Well, these in the old days, they were coal. Now, I'm going back to the very old days, obviously. And what a person would do is they'd lounge, they'd make it into a shop, a fish and chip shop. Okay, they'd put this huge, what was it, a range, wasn't it? Like a range. They put this thing in there and they'd fry up fish and chips for the people in the street and surrounding streets. And they'd sell their fish and chips, obviously, make a profit. And this programme was all about that. I don't know what it was called. Shame, but you'll probably find it if you look look on replay or whatever they call it these days. So, yeah, all about people frying up fish and chips from home. And then, of course, the locals, it would save them cooking. They'd say, oh, go along to the chip shop. It's only up the road or it's only next door. So that was great. And of course, fish and chip shops are still going, aren't they? I think that's one thing that all the Chinese and Indian takeaways and Thai restaurants and the rest of it, one thing that that lot will never get rid of, that's the local fish and chip shop. Because who doesn't like fish and chips? Everyone does. Apparently, now I've got this wrong, I know I have, I always get things wrong. Apparently, fish and chips started, where was it? Was it India? No, that's got to be wrong. Anyway, it wasn't the UK. Apparently it wasn't our thing. You know, we're known the world over for fish and chips. Well, allegedly, so I've been told. Well, apparently we didn't start fish and chips. Someone else did. Someone else in the world. I don't know. I don't know whether that's true or not. Do we care? No. Fish and chips are brilliant, especially on the way home from the pub. That episode, was it uh, recently I did about pubs? Walking home after the pub, you pop in the fish and chip shop and you buy a newspaper, because it was in newspaper in those days, wasn't it? Full of chips, or a bit of fish, or a Savloy sausage, or whatever you wanted. And you walk home, plenty of salt and vinegar, all dripping, all the grease dripping off this newspaper, probably all down in your clothes, which didn't matter after a few drinks. And you walk home eating fish and chips. They were good days. But I always thought that was a British thing. That's something else I must look up. I must find out where fish and chips originated from because I'm pretty sure it's not Britain. I've just had a quick look. The origin of the chip goes back to the 17th century, either uh, from Belgium or France. So we didn't invent chips. We don't invent them, do you? Do you? I suppose you do. We didn't invent chips. The French or the Belgians did. And I don't know who thought of chucking fish in with them. (laughs) Someone thought, I know, we'll chuck some fish in with the chips. But that's interesting. I always thought that was down to us Brits, but there we are, not to worry. It's like cricket. I mean, that I always thought cricket was a, a kind of English thing, but I don't think it is. Someone said that originated somewhere else. I suppose that's why chips are called fries, French fries, aren't they? I think in America they're called fries, aren't they? In France they're called French fries. <laughs> Here they're English. No, no, they're not. They're just chips, British chips. It's like that record. What was that record? I'm surprised they can play that anymore. It's a mixed up, muddled up, shook up world, except my Lola. Was that the Kinks? You'll correct me on that if I'm wrong. I'm surprised they can play that anymore. It might offend someone. Okay, I'm sounding a bit rough now. I've been talking for a long time. I was getting a bit rough. So I'm going to take a break, have a cup of tea or something. I shall be back shortly. Stop calling me shortly. Well, that was a quick break. It's now 24 hours later. It's the next day. We've got storms coming in, but I, I don't know. I don't believe it. I was thinking about supermarkets in the night, as you do, three o'clock in the morning. I think what will happen eventually is the huge supermarkets will become warehouses, distribution centres, no customers there, and they will load up delivery vans and then go on their rounds and use it purely as a warehouse. I can't see... I mean, I'm talking about a long way in the future now, I can't think that we're going to have customers all traipsing around the the aisles like they do now with their trolleys. Everything is going online. One day we'll end up without any cash because all money will be online. Do you see what I mean? If you just give that some thought for a minute, 
the supermarket, you order everything online, as you do now. A lot of people have their stuff delivered. The only trouble is with that, they give you the out of, well, not the out of date stuff, but you get something that says used by the 29th and it's the 29th tomorrow. And you think, oh, hang on a minute, I've, I've got to eat it today. That's the only thing. When you go there, you can have a look round and choose stuff. But I think that's the way it will probably go in years to come. That is not sort of next week. That can't happen with coffee shops, for example. Of course, you know, you, you've got to go to the shop to get your coffee. Having said that, I suppose online you could order your Costa coffee or whatever it is you like, and it could be with you in sort of 10 minutes. It could be delivered, couldn't it? A Costa coffee. Can you see that happening? I don't know. I, I just wonder whether the day will come when there aren't any shops. There is no high street. There is no retail park. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Raise rants at protonmail.com. Raise rants at protonmail.com. I remember a chap just going back to the 60s. He worked for an insurance company and he collected stamps. He loved stamps and bric-a-brac. His main thing was stamp collecting. He opened a shop. Now he stayed at the insurance company, opened a shop he rented and he put an old lady in, a friend of his, I think it was a neighbour, an elderly lady, and she ran the shop for him. She'd open it at nine and close it at five and he paid her whatever. It wasn't busy. It wasn't that type of shop where people crowd in there so she could cope quite well on her own. And what she did, she had him on the end of the phone. She knew where his office, uh, you know, his phone number was. She could give him a ring. He would pop in during his lunch hour. He'd pop in during the day if he could. And it went on like that for a year. He then left his day job and worked full time in the shop. And it was a success. He, he did very well. He was there for a number of years. I don't know what happened to him. He, he moved from that shop. and I'm not sure where he went to. I, I lost touch with him after that. But that was a, another success story. One of my favourite shops when I was young, like 10, 11, 12 years old, was the fish and chip shop down the road. I remember walking down there once. I didn't have any money. You know, my pocket money had gone. Summer evening, you know, I was out with friends. We were milling around. A couple of them went in and bought chips. And I thought, oh, this is bad. You know, I haven't got any money. And, you know, I found sixpence on the ground, on the pavement, a sixpenny piece. So I went in there. Tanner's worth of chips, please, mister. <laughs> and you get a tanner's worth of chips, sixpence worth in newspaper. Absolutely brilliant. So I didn't miss out. But that was great. And sixpence worth of chips, that's six old pence. I did, What's that? I can't convert that to this new silly money. But it wasn't a great deal of money. And you got a load of chips for that. A whole sort of newspaper <laughs> full. No, there was, um, I believe there was greaseproof paper in uh, as the first layer and the rest of it was newspaper is that right or were the chips just in the newspaper i don't know eventually of course hygiene and all this stuff came in you can't have that i suppose that was fair enough these were second-hand newspapers people had read them their sticky fingers all over them and then you're eating your chips from them but i remember when i was older while you're eating the chips you could read the newspaper do you remember that you could read the greasy, well, parts of the greasy newspaper, which was quite funny. I don't know. They really were good days in many, many ways. By the way, earlier when I was talking about shops, that chap that didn't make a go of it, I think I said nine till 12 he opened, which was four hours. Well, of course it wasn't. Nine to 12 was only three hours. I remember him cutting his hours down more and more. And of course, in the end, the business failed. I remember one chap, he opened a shop. He had a 15-year lease. In those days, well, up until recently as well, you have a lease for, say, 15 years. What he didn't realise, he obviously didn't read it properly, it was a full repairing and insuring lease. What that meant was any repairs on the shop, the building, anything, the tenant, in other words him, he had to pay for it and he had to take out insurance, insure the building. Now, the landlord, he was sort of free of all these responsibilities it was down to the leaseholder now he had the shop this chap uh, for 15 years there was a flat roof out the back of the shop where there was a workshop and it started to leak he patched it up and it got worse and worse in the end he said to the landlord look you know can you have something done about the roof it's leaking badly now and the landlord said well I can recommend a roofer uh, I'll put you onto a roofer and of course my friend said well 
aren't you going to repair the roof, have it done? And he said, no, you've got a full repairing lease. And he had to pay, it was quite a lot of money. I remember him saying it cost him a fortune to have all this flat roof redone. He didn't realise that. Now, the thing was, if you didn't stay for the full 15 years to cover the whole lease, after which time, of course, you would renew it. If you wanted to move on, say there was five years left on the lease, what you could do is you'd sell that to someone else. You'd, obviously, the landlord would have to know about all this. And you'd say to someone else, look, if you want to take over the shop, there's five years left on the lease, off you go. So the new chap would move in, he'd run his business. If after a year, he went bankrupt or he just couldn't make, oh, I can't do this, I can't pay the rent anymore, the landlord would go back to the previous chap and say, right, come on, you've got to start paying the rent. I think it's all changed now, but that was a horrendous situation. You know, you pass the lease on to someone else, they go bankrupt, you are left with, say, four or five years' rent to pay on the lease. It was an absolute nightmare for people in that situation because they probably moved on to other things, they've got another shop, suddenly they've got to pay rent on this place. As I say, I believe all that's been stopped now because yeah, that really was a, a ridiculous situation. A chap I know, he, he actually had, was it a 20-year lease? And it was up, I believe, last year. The lease came up and that was it. Landlord said, do you want to renew it? Do another 20 years? And he said, well, no, I'm in my 60s. And I'm not going to carry on for another 20 years. So the landlord said, well, look, you know, you've been great for 20 years. You've paid the rent. You've been a great tenant. You've got a good business. What do you want to do? Shall we make it, say, a, a five-year lease? Sign up for that. And again, the chap said, no, I don't want five years. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. I might retire. I might, I might do something else. I don't know. It ended up, the landlord and he agreed, a six-month lease. He said, what we'll do, we'll renew it every six months. Keep the rent the same, won't put the rent up. But every six months, do you want to stay or do you want to do another six months? And he signed up for that. And I think, yeah, that was... To, no, about a year ago, I believe. And he's still there. And every six months he signs up. If he doesn't want to do it anymore, he can leave. I think landlords these days are, they're realising that times aren't so easy for tenants. Businesses aren't so lucrative as they used to be. And they've got to be a bit careful. They can't uh, just go putting the rent up. I remember another chap, one of the TV chaps that had the shop, the landlord said to him after some years, uh, the rent's got to go up. And he said, oh, OK, I'll, I'll forget it, then I'll move. I'll find somewhere else. And the landlord and he had a chat and worked it all out. And in the end, the rent stayed the same. I suppose the landlord thought, quite rightly, what do I want? Do I want the rent I'm getting now? Or do I want zero rent because I've got an empty shop? This is the thing you've got to find someone else. It could take weeks. It could take months. In fact, I know of shops in town. They've been empty for years. The landlords are getting zero. And yet they've got to obviously have insurance, that sort of thing. They've, they've got to spend money, even though they've got no business running in there. They've got to spend money on the place. They've got to pay for the upkeep. And of course, things like repairs, flat roof leaks or whatever, they've got to do it themselves. There's no one else. There's no tenant to do it. I jokingly mentioned having Costa Coffee or whoever, uh, whoever's coffee delivered to your door. So you haven't got to go downtown and buy it. I just had a thought. That's not as daft as it may sound. Drones. I mean, uh, Amazon are practising, aren't they? Or testing with drones for deliveries. Costa coffee. You could even <laughs> you could even have your, if you're upstairs in an office or at home, you've got the window open. The drone just stops. You reach out of the window and grab your Costa coffee. How about that? So perhaps not such a daft idea after all. Of course, the thing is, if we're all working from home, living at home, not having to go out shopping, not having to go out for coffee or anything like that, we're all going to end up uh, recluse. You know, we're going to be hiding at home. No one will ever go out because you've got home cinema now. You've got Netflix. You needn't go to the cinema to watch films. It's all on big screen TV at home. You've got Alexa. You can ask Alexa things, ask it to order things. Amazon deliver everything. You can have meals delivered by drone. Imagine that. Oh, I have fish and chips. So your local fish and chip shop, they stick it on a drone and it comes around and even flies in into your kitchen or into your, your lounge and drops it on your lap. <laughs> no, seriously. You know, it's funny. It's joking. But when you go back 
go back to Star Trek in the very, very beginning. A lot of that on Star Trek is kind of coming about, isn't it? You know, Captain James T. Kirk, not the, the second generation or whatever. A lot of that stuff, like his little, um, the little communicator, you know, where he flipped the lid open and spoke to people. Well, that was mobile phones, wasn't it? You know, the flip-top mobile phones. That all came about. At the time, you think, well, no, that's, that's not going to work. That'll never happen. But it does. Oh, thanks to Graham. Uh, hello, Graham. Emailed me. Gave me an idea. Decimalisation and what a rip-off it was. I remember. I remember. What was it? Early 70s, was it, Graham? I remember the day that we all went over to the decimal-type money, away from pounds, shillings and pence. Everything went up in price. Absolutely everything. I remember trying to work it out. Hang on a minute. You know, yesterday, the Mars bar was so much. Today, the same Mars bar in the same shop, in the same shelf is now so much. And you work it out. Hang on a minute. It's gone up. <laughs> it's gone up a, a penny or two. If you worked it out, because they did say, well, don't try and work it out. Don't try and work out old money to new money. Well, that's why they didn't want you to work it out because everything had gone up. It was all rounded up. <laughs> I don't know. Happy days. Okay, now listen, you lot, I think you've had enough. Have you had enough? Yeah, you've had enough. I've just been bought a cup of tea, which is rather nice. So I'm going to have a cup of tea. We've got a lot of thunder uh, just over to the north, over the downs, behind the downs here where I am on the south coast. And all my amateur radio gear on each radio, I keep hearing terrific crashes of interference when there are lightning strikes. I think, do you want to look on the map? Yeah, look on the map. It's probably over, I don't know, Stenning, Storrington Way, something like that, Washington. Just the other side of the Downs from what I can see on the, the Lightning app. Okay, raise rants at protonmail.com. Email me with your ideas, complaints, suggestions and whatever. Take care. Hope you're enjoying the, uh, the weather wherever you are. What, of course, yeah, Australia, I hope you're enjoying your winter. Uh, UK, hope you're enjoying your summer. Not, because <laughs> summer, summer lasted two weeks. We had two weeks of sun and it really was hot. Now we're back to winter. <laughs> oh dear, climate change. Oh no, don't, don't mention that. I might offend someone. Take care, everyone. I shall see you for the midweek message on Wednesday and then next Sunday for another hour-long episode. Take care. Bye-bye for now.